Chapter Fourteen of In the Cage by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. But the summer holidays brought a marked difference. They were holidays for almost everyone but the animals in the cage. The August days were flat and dry, and with so little to feed it, she was conscious of the ebb of her interest in the secrets of the refined. She was in a position to follow the refined to the extent of knowing, they had made so many of their arrangements with her aid, exactly where they were. Yet she felt quite as if the panorama had ceased unrolling and the band stopped playing. A stray member of the latter occasionally turned up, but the communications that passed before her bore now largely on rooms at hotels, prices of furnished houses, hours of trains, dates of sailings, and arrangements for being met. She found them for the most part prosaic and coarse. The only thing was that they brought into her stuffy corner as straight a whiff of alpine meadows and scotch moors as she might hope ever to inhale. There were, moreover, in especial, fat, hot, dull ladies who had out with her, to exasperation, the terms for seaside lodgings, which struck her as huge, and the matter of the number of beds required, which was not less portentous. This in reference to places of which the names, Eastburn, Folkestone, Cromer, Scarborough, Whitby, tormented her with something of the sound of the splash of water that haunts the traveller in the desert. She had not been out of London for a dozen years, and the only thing to give a taste to the present dead weeks was the spice of a chronic resentment. The sparse customers, the people she did see, were the people who were just off, off on the decks of fluttered yachts, off to the uttermost point of rocky headlands, where the very breeze was then playing for the want of which she said to herself that she sickened. There was accordingly a sense in which, at such a period, the great differences of the human condition could press upon her more than ever, a circumstance drawing fresh force and truth from the very fact of the chance that at last, for a change, did squarely meet her. The chance to be off, for a bit, almost as far as anybody. They took their turns in the cage as they took them both in the shop and at Chalk Farm. She had known these two months that time was to be allowed in September, no less than eleven days, for her personal private holiday. Much of her recent intercourse with Mr. Mudge had consisted of the hopes and fears, expressed mainly by himself, involved in the question of their getting the same dates, a question that, in proportion as the delight seemed assured, spread into a sea of speculation over the choice of where and how. All through July, on the Sunday evenings and at such other odd times as he could seize, he had flooded their talk with wild waves of calculation. It was practically settled that, with her mother, somewhere on the south coast, a phrase of which she liked the sound, they should put in their allowance together, but she already felt the prospect quite weary and worn with the way he went round and round on it. It had become his sole topic, the theme alike of his most solemn prudences and most placid jests, to which every opening led for return and revision, and which every little flower of a foretaste was pulled up as soon as planted. He had announced at the earliest day, 
characterizing the whole business from that moment as their plans, under which name he handled it as a syndicate handles a Chinese or other loan, he had promptly declared that the question must be thoroughly studied, and he produced, on the whole subject from day to day, an amount of information that excited her wonder, and even, not a little, as she frankly let him know, her disdain. When she thought of the danger in which another pair of lovers rapturously lived, she inquired of him anew why he could leave nothing to chance. Then she got for answer that this profundity was just his pride, and he pitted Ramsgate against Burnmouth, and even Boulogne against Jersey, for he had great ideas, with all the mastery of detail that was some day, professionally, to carry him afar. The longer the time since she had seen Captain Everard, the more she was booked, as she called it, to pass Park Chambers, and this was the sole amusement that in the lingering August days and the twilight sadly drawn out it was left her to cultivate. She had long since learned to know it for a feeble one, though its feebleness was perhaps scarce the reason for her saying to herself each evening as her time for departure approached. No, no, not to-night. She never failed of that silent remark, any more than she failed of feeling, in some deeper place than she had even yet fully sounded, that one's remarks were as weak as straws, and that however one might indulge in them at eight o'clock, one's fate infallibly declared itself in absolute indifference to them at about eight-fifteen. Remarks were remarks, and very well for that, but fate was fate and this young lady's was to pass Park Chambers every night in the working week. Out of the immensity of her knowledge of the life of the world, there bloomed on these occasions a specific remembrance that it was regarded in that region, in August and September, as rather pleasant just to be caught for something or other in passing through town. Somebody was always passing, and somebody might catch somebody else. It was in full cognizance of this subtle law that she adhered to the most ridiculous circuit she could have made to get home. One warm, dull, featureless Friday, when an accident had made her start from Cocker's a little later than usual, she became aware that something of which the infinite possibilities had for so long peopled her dreams was at last prodigiously upon her, though the perfection in which the conditions happened to present it was almost rich enough to be but the positive creation of a dream. She saw straight before her, like a vista painted in a picture, the empty streets and the lamps that burned pale in the dusk not yet established. It was into the convenience of this quiet twilight that a gentleman on the doorstep of the chambers gazed with a vagueness that our young lady's little figure violently trembled, in the approach, with the measure of its power to dissipate. Everything, indeed, grew in a flash terrific and distinct. Her old uncertainties fell away from her, and since she was so familiar with fate, she felt as if the very nail that fixed it were driven in by the hard look with which, for a moment, Captain Everard awaited her. The vestibule was open behind him, and the porter as absent as on the day she had peeped in. He had just come out, was in town, in a tweed suit and a pot hat, but between two journeys, duly bored over his evening and at a loss what to do with it. Then it was that she was glad she had never met him in that way before. She reaped with such ecstasy the benefit of his not being able to think she passed often. 
she jumped in two seconds to the determination that he should even suppose it to be the very first time and the very oddest chance. This was while she still wondered if he would identify or notice her. His original attention had not, she instinctively knew, been for the young woman at Cocker's. It had only been for any young woman who might advance to the tune of her not troubling the quiet air, and in fact the poetic hour with ugliness. Ah, but then, and just as she had reached the door, came his second observation, a long light reach with which, visibly and quite amusedly, he recalled and placed her. They were on different sides, but the street, narrow and still, had only made more of a stage for the small momentary drama. It was not over, besides, it was far from over, even on his sending across the way, with the pleasantest laugh she had ever heard, a little lift of his hat, and an, "'Oh, good evening!' It was still less over on their meeting, the next minute, though rather indirectly and awkwardly in the middle of the road, a situation to which three or four steps of her own had unmistakably contributed, and then passing not again to the side on which she had arrived, but back toward the portal of Park Chambers. "'I didn't know you at first. Are you taking a walk?' "'Ah, oh, I don't take walks at night. I'm going home after my work.' "'Oh!' That was practically what they had meanwhile smiled out, and his exclamation, to which for a minute he appeared to have nothing to add, left them face to face, and in just such an attitude as, for his part, he might have worn had he been wondering if he could properly ask her to come in. During this interval, in fact, she really felt his question to be just, How properly? It was simply a question of the degree of properness. End of chapter 14